John chapter 16, verse 16 to 22. Hopefully should appear overhead. <clears throat> Jesus went on to say, In a little while you will see me no more. And then after a little while you will see me. At this, some of his disciples said to one another, What does he mean by saying, In a little while you will see me no more? And then after a little while you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father... They kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he's saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this. So he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant when I said, in a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. Very truly, I tell you, you will reap, sorry, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because, her joy, because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time to grieve. But I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take your joy away. Well, good morning again, and a very happy Easter to you. If I've not had the chance to meet you yet, my name is Bijan, the pastor for our church, and really excited to be gathered together with you for Easter Sunday. Now, Easter is the time where the world over, Christians and churches just like ours, celebrate the fact that three days after dying, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. The resurrection, the truth of Jesus' defeating death, is at the very heart of the Christian faith. C.S. Lewis, at one of the places in one of his books, puts it this way. The New Testament writers speak as if Christ's achievement in rising from the dead was the first event of its kind in history. He is, Jesus is, the firstfruits, the pioneer of life. He has forced open a door that has been locked since the death of the first man. Jesus met, fought, and beat the king of death. And everything is different because he has done so. This is the beginning of new creation. A new chapter in cosmic history has opened. Everything is different because Jesus rose from the dead. Everything. Now, the resurrection, as I've said, is at the very heart of the Christian faith. And that means this morning, as we reflect on the meaning of Easter, there are so many different angles from which we could approach our topic. But here's how I want us to think about Easter this morning, based on the passage that you just heard read, the resurrection of Jesus is the triumph of joy. The resurrection of Jesus means, though sorrow may last for the night, and sometimes it's a long night, joy comes in the morning. And we see that in John 16. And so today I want us to consider not just the truth of Easter, but the implications of Easter, that deep lasting joy is possible even in a world that it often doesn't feel like it is. So let's look at John 16. Jesus' resurrection is the triumph of joy. And there are three things that I want to show you in the passage. First, we're going to see where sorrow comes from, where grief comes from. Then second, I'll show you a gospel principle. And then finally, a gospel promise. So where sorrow comes from, a gospel principle, and a gospel promise. 
So first, where does sorrow come from? Now, some of you know this, but just in case you don't, in John 16, Jesus, the passage you just heard, Jesus is talking to his disciples on the night before his death. He knows that in just a few hours, he's going to be betrayed by one of his friends. He's going to be falsely accused and condemned. Ultimately, he's going to be sentenced to death, and he's going to be led outside of the city and killed on a Roman cross. Jesus is spending the final precious hours with his disciples, preparing them for what's about to happen. And if you would look with me at verse 16, Jesus says, in a little while, you will see me no more. Jesus is describing how quite literally he's going to be taken from their sight. He's going to be, as I've said, killed, and he's going to be buried. And Jesus is saying to his friends, in just a little bit of time, you're not going to see me anymore. And then if you go down to verse 20, you realize that's the source of their sorrow, that Jesus is going to be taken from them. In other words, the disciples are about to experience loss. They love Jesus. Jesus was their friend. Jesus was their teacher. And Jesus is saying here in this passage, in just a short amount of time, I'm not going to be with you anymore. And the fact, the truth of Jesus being taken from them, Jesus says, that's going to cause you to have grief. That's going to cause you to weep. That's going to cause you to mourn. And our experiences of sorrow, our experiences of grief, they come from the same place, that sense of loss. At one level or another, all of our sorrow in our life, it comes from some kind of loss. When you lose something or someone that you loved, you grieve and you're filled with sorrow. When you have something in your life that you always hoped for, something that you wanted to see happen or wanted to achieve, but as the days and the months and the years tick on, it feels less and less likely, that sense of loss is palpable and you feel sorrowful. You feel a sense of loss. You see, we may not have the same experience of saying bye to Jesus the way the disciples did, but at a fundamental level, we have the same experience of loss all the time in our life. We lose relationships, we lose jobs, we lose homes that we love, we lose opportunities in our future, we lose hope. And when you lose things, your heart is broken. Loss brings sorrow. Now, when that happens... The question for all of us, whether or not you're a Christian, the question for every person is how do you face your sorrow? When you lose something, how do you grieve? And our world, our culture generally has two approaches, different approaches to facing sorrow, to experiencing loss. One is you try to minimize it, you downplay, you you almost ignore. So you say things like, oh, it's not a big deal, it's going to be okay. Every cloud has a silver lining in silly stuff like that. And what you do is you try to, you downplay, it's not a big deal. But in your heart, you feel a sense of brokenness. And you can try to minimize and ignore and downplay that sorrow, but eventually it becomes so big, it's like an elephant in your living room. You can pretend it's not there, but everybody sees it. And you know it's there. So one way to try to deal with sorrow, according to our world, according to our culture, is you downplay and you minimize and you try to ignore, but that doesn't work. Another approach that people take is you're faced with sorrow and you're faced with loss, so you try to numb it. You try to fill your life with distractions. 
And maybe even more seriously, those distractions turn into addictions. And what you try to do is you try to numb the pain of the grief and the sorrow that you're facing. That doesn't work either. Because not only doesn't it properly address the pain and the sorrow that you're feeling, but it cuts you off from others. It cuts you off from the world. So we all go through loss. We all experience sorrow, but our culture doesn't give us the resources we need to face that sorrow and loss. But the resurrection does. And that's what I want you to see for the rest of our sermon. The resurrection of Jesus Christ gives you, gives me, unparalleled resources for facing loss and actually experiencing joy in the midst of that loss. So let's turn our attention now to ask, what is the gospel principle that this passage teaches? Look with me, if you would, again, verse 20. Let me read it to you. Jesus says, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. Now, Jesus is here explaining what he meant because earlier in the passage, he said, in a little bit of time, you're not gonna see me, and then a little bit later, you will see me. And the disciples, when they hear Jesus say that, they say, we don't know what he's talking about. And they're confused. In a little while, you won't see me, then a little bit later, you will. So they're talking amongst themselves, what does he mean? And Jesus, I love, he's so gentle. He doesn't say, guys, we've been talking about this for months. Like, get with the program. <laughs> Jesus is gentle with them. And he says, let me explain it to you. And effectively, what you have here is Jesus saying, in a little bit of time, I'm going to die. Literally, I'm going to be taken from you. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be buried in a tomb. And you won't see me. But then, a little bit after that, you will see me. Jesus is referring to his resurrection. Jesus is promising his disciples that even though you're going to experience incredible sorrow because I'm taken from you, in a little bit of time after that, you will see me again. I'm going to beat death. Jesus here in these verses, I admit it's a little opaque, but he's saying nothing less than the fact that after dying, he's going to defeat death and rise again. That's what Jesus is saying. A little while, you won't see me, I'll be buried. But a little bit after that, I'm rising from the dead and you will see me again. And now look with me, friends, at the very end of verse 20. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. That last sentence is the key to this whole passage. It's the key, actually, to life. Your grief will turn to joy. Now, when you go through sorrow, when I experience loss, when I'm in a situation that's bringing me intense suffering and pain, what I want and what you do, the most natural human response, is to try to get out of that suffering as quickly as possible. So we ask questions, how can I fix this problem? Or how can I mend that relationship? Or even you go to God in prayer and say, God, I'm going through suffering, I'm going through sorrow. Please take away this pain and bring me joy. I'll give you my pain, I'll give you my sorrow, and you give me joy. That's, that's what we want at a fundamental level. That's what everyone wants. But look at the answer of the gospel. When I say to God, please take away my sorrow and give me joy, God gently says to me, no. I'm not going to take away your sorrow and give you joy. I'm going to transform your sorrow into joy. That's the end of verse 20. Your grief will turn to joy. And friends, in that word turn is all the difference in the world. 
Jesus illustrates his point. Look at verse 21. He says, a woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child has been born into the world. Now, Jesus is the master teacher, and here's what he's saying. Your grief will turn to joy. And you could hear that, and you could think Jesus is saying, oh, there's always a light at the end of the tunnel. Every rose has its thorns. But that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not saying, just hold on, because eventually it'll get better. He's not saying that. What Jesus is saying is the very thing that's causing you pain and sorrow right now is going to be the thing that brings joy. He's going to turn the sorrow into joy. And that's the illustration he gives. He says, look, when a woman is giving birth, she has pain. There's intense pain and agony. But once the child is born, she has joy. And here's the question. What's the source of that woman's pain and agony? It's the child in her womb. But moments after birth, she experiences this incredible joy. What's the source of joy? It's that very same child. And Jesus is saying, the things that bring you sorrow are going to become the very things that produce your joy. And you say, well, come on, that sounds like wishful thinking. How can that be true? There's terrible things in the world. How can that actually be true? But remember, Jesus is talking about what he's about to experience. Jesus is saying to his friends, listen, you're going to have sorrow because I go to the cross. You're going to have sorrow because I'm going to die and it's going to look like all hope is lost. But a little while after that, you're going to see me again because I'm going to defeat death. I'm going to rise from the dead, never to die again. And when I rise from the dead, that is the proof that my death for sin, my payment for sin was satisfying, that the enemy has been defeated and that ultimately everything sad is going to come untrue. The resurrection is proof of that, Jesus says. But notice, you don't get resurrection joy without the pain of Good Friday. You don't get Easter Sunday without the cross. And Jesus is saying the very things that cause you pain and sorrow are going to become the things that produce joy. The proof of that is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel principle. And let me just say before we move on to the promises, If you're a Christian here today, this principle that sorrow produces joy, this principle becomes a pattern for your life. You see, the Christian's life is cross-shaped. The Apostle Paul said in Galatians 2, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. To be a Christian is to have your whole life patterned after the cross. And this is the principle. Death to life, sorrow to joy, darkness to light. And so as a Christian, the hope that you have is not that you'll avoid sorrow, but that you have hope through the sorrow. It's not that there aren't crosses, but God's resurrection power is always at work. And let's be honest about that. I don't know where this comes from, but sometimes in churches, sometimes in Christian circles, people feel like they have to put on a front. You feel like you have to come to church and pretend that everything's okay and I'm okay and life's great when sometimes you feel like you're dying inside. The gospel actually says that we have, of all people, the most resources to be honest about our sorrow, to say things are really hard right now. 
And to know that even as we're honest about our sorrow and our loss and our pain, we have hope because God is able to say, though weeping lasts for the night, joy comes in the morning. The cross leads to resurrection. It has to be that way. That's the pattern of the universe. That's the pattern of the Christian life. So, where sorrow comes from, that sense of loss. The gospel principle, God is able, God does turn sorrow into joy. Look no further than the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. But that leads us to see finally in verse 22, a gospel promise. Or actually, gospel promises, to be more clear. And here's what I want to say as we come to the end of our sermon on this really special Easter Sunday. The principle, God turns sorrow into joy, it can feel like cold medicine. You might be sitting there today and say, nice to say, Pastor, and it's sunny in London, which is kind of a miracle. It feels good. There's hot cross buns. But I don't know if this is going to be true in my life. I mean, is God really going to turn sorrow into joy in my life? And here's what I want to say to you today. If God could turn the cross into resurrection, do you really think that God can't turn sorrow into joy in your life? I mean, truly, I know that sometimes the pain is profound, but look at his power. Look at what he's able to do. And in verse 22, Jesus actually gives promises. He actually looks at his disciples. He looks at his friends and he says, I know that you're about to enter into a veil of sorrow and it's going to feel really dark and really bleak. And so I'm giving you promises to uphold you even as you make your way into the shadow. And these promises are for you. If you're a Christian here today, these are your promises. If you're here today and and you're not a Christian, I implore you, give yourself to Jesus Christ so that these promises can be yours, so that these promises can be true for you, true in your story. Jesus gives in verse 22 three promises. He's not asking you to do something He's not giving you tasks. He's giving you promises to rest in. So let me show you what they are. Three promises. The first one, Jesus says, I will see you again. Now that's an astounding thing for someone to say who knows they're about to die. This is not the last goodbye. And truly, Jesus in John chapter 20 and verse 20, just after his resurrection, Jesus does come to these disciples And he shows them the scars and he says, hi, the most glorious hi in the history of the world. And the text says that when the disciples saw Jesus, they rejoiced. Jesus said, I will see you again. And he kept his promise. And that's a stunning thing for someone to declare when they know in a few hours they're going to be killed. But he made a promise and he kept it. There's a very famous spot in The Lord of the Rings, if you know the movies, but it's actually in the books, not the movies, where after a great battle, after that moment where it seems like all was lost, one of the characters, Samwise Gamgee, is lying asleep and he's recovering from his injuries. He finally wakes up and he sees one of his great friends standing there in front of him. Now, Sam had thought that this friend died. Sam thought that this friend was gone forever. But now here he sees this friend who he thought was dead, alive and in front of him. And the text of the book says, Then Sam, with bewilderment and joy, said, I thought you were dead. But then I thought I was dead myself. Is everything sad going to come untrue? 
is everything sad going to come untrue? And the friend responds, a great shadow has departed. And then he laughed and the laugh was like music or like water in a parched land. You see, in that beautiful, poignant moment, what Tolkien, the author, is doing is he's giving us a picture of resurrection joy. If someone beats death, it means everything sad could come untrue. And when Jesus says, I will see you again, and then in a few days, he literally does see his disciples again, he's saying everything sad's going to come untrue. Do you know that? Is that promise in the center of your soul? That Jesus keeps his promises and one day everything sad will come untrue. He will see you again. Second promise, not just I'll see you again, but second promise, you will rejoice. That's the second promise that Jesus gives in verse 22. You will rejoice. And friends, emphasis on the word you. Some of you here today are optimistic people and we love you and we're grateful for you. But for the rest of us who are pessimistic, cynical, our hearts are often broken, Jesus says, you will rejoice. Because you don't feel like you're able to rejoice. You don't feel like you do a lot of rejoicing. Yeah, there's moments where everything feels okay, but sort of the baseline level of your life is sadness. The baseline narrative of your life is heartbreak. And Jesus says, even you will rejoice. Because your rejoicing is now tethered to his resurrection. Your rejoicing is tethered to his defeat of death. I'll see you again. You will rejoice. And then third, promise, no one will take your joy from you. This is the last promise Jesus makes. The joy that he offers is a secure one. No one and no thing can touch that joy. Because... There's no joy more secure than a joy that's produced by the sorrows that preceded it. And so no matter how dark the night feels, no matter how deep the sorrow is, what Jesus is declaring, if your life is tethered to mine, if your hope, if your anchor is crossed to resurrection, death to life, ultimately the final word is going to be joy. Joy will be the last word. Joy with God forever, but joy in your heart that peeks through even in moments of hardship today. That's the final word because there is no joy more secure than a joy produced by the sorrows that precede it. You can't even take that joy away from yourself. It's a gift of God in Jesus and it's as solid as he is sitting at the right hand of God the Father at this moment. These are God's promises for you. These are God's promises for us. I will see you again you will rejoice and no one will take that joy. This is the promise of Easter. Let's pray. Our God, we thank you for meeting us today in Easter Sunday with the hope and the promise of resurrection joy. And Lord, as we now come to a time of response, as we come to a time of meditating and reflecting and applying what this means in our lives personally and as a church, we pray that you would help us to experience these truths. God, we don't want to just be informed. We don't want to just have information about, about that. We want to experience joy in the midst of our sorrow. So please, by the power of your spirit now, meet us, fill us, change us, and help us to encounter Jesus and his resurrection joy today. We pray this together for your glory and our good as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.